0: Listener Production.
1: Okay, are you recording?
0: G'day, and welcome along to episode 69, part A of the Howie Games. And thank you to you all out there for giving the show some of your time. Really appreciate it. Alrighty, this week an Olympic gold and silver medalist, a dual world champion, and a dual Commonwealth Games champion, a superstar athlete who has made her name by shining on the biggest of stages, Sally Pearson. This episode was actually recorded in the middle of 2018 when Sally was in rehab and not able to run at all, which was driving her crazy, as you'll hear. Recently, though, good news, because after a gruelling recovery spent rebuilding her body, Sally began to compete again, winning a 100 metre flat race at the University of Queensland about a month ago. I
1: was so nervous coming into that race. And I got to think about 20 metres out and really felt that 100 metres, felt like I was doing 200 metres.
0: Sally is aiming to be fit and firing for the 2019 World Champs in Doha, then looking forward to the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. A side note, for various reasons, I didn't record the episode audio as I usually do. It was actually done by somebody else, so apologies if it's a little bit down on our usual quality. That's an air conditioner you may hear in the background, but you should get through
1: so many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes
0: All right, Sally Pearson, well she is one of the greatest athletes Australia has ever produced, full stop And her description... The London Games had me in goosebumps in this episode. By gee, she tells a good story. It's like you're actually on the track with her. Equally, her 2015 fall and injury, the way she talks about that, that'll probably have you cringing. It's pretty hard to listen to. It's horrible at times. Sally's enthusiasm and her willingness to wear her heart on her sleeve and the passion with which she talks about her career is absolutely fantastic. I hope you enjoy it. This is Sally Pearson, OAM
1: (laughs) So when you search, and then you find, and know just where to go, and thoughts that once used to cloud your mind. You see clearly, and now you know, mystery, what is to be revealed in King Selassie. I. Come on, children, it with me. We want to reach Mount Zion.
0: Sally Pearson, it is wonderful to see you. It's a treat for me to sit down with a, a legend of Australian sport. How are you going?
1: I'm good. I'm as good as I can be at the moment.
0: Still not able to run on the track driving around the Twist?
1: Most definitely. (laughs) Uh, I I love to run, I love to train and not being able to do what I love to do is is quite frustrating so I'm trying to fill my time with other things in my life and, and keep myself busy.
0: Where are you at? We'll get to your backstory when we do but where are you at at the moment?
1: At the moment, I'm about a week away from jogging on the track. Um, I'm keeping fit in other ways, like on the bike and in the gym, keeping as strong as I can because if I don't want my Achilles to go again, I don't want any more injuries, I have to make sure I do all my rehab training properly, so that's driving me around the twist as well. But um, other than that, yeah, just, just waiting. I'm in that sort of phase where all I have to do now is test myself with running, jogging and getting back into proper training.
0: What is it like when you are such a competitive beast, and I use that term nicely, when you're not able to do what you love to do?
1: It's it's really difficult. Um, I've actually stopped following a lot of athletics handles on social media because it's frustrating to watch results come through and not see me competing in those competitions where I know I should be competing and seeing all the results. It's, it's disappointing um, and it's frustrating, but there's nothing else I can do. I, I can't do anything about it right now, so I have to kind of give myself a little bit of a break and and take myself away from that situation and try and build up in other areas, really, and keep myself occupied.
0: You talk about keeping yourself occupied. Obviously, the physical issue you can see and you can feel. How do you deal with the mental... Side of the fact you can't do what you love to do, like you're talking about shutting down, following on on social media, and things like that?
1: Um, I speak to a sports psychologist every now and then, but at the same time, I think I'm experienced. Unfortunately, I think I'm experienced in recovery and rehab areas because uh, missing out in 2015 and 2016 with injuries. I think what helps me keep going is the fact that I was able to. After all those previous injuries, I was able to come back and win a World Championships in 2017. Um, I think that's what's keeping me strong. I don't actually know how I'm staying so calm about such a bad situation, but I, I'm, I'm trying to think maybe that's the reason why that, that's helping me get through it and stay so positive and stay so focused on my next goal. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I'm such a different person now with all the experience that I've had in past years with winning Olympics and World Championships and Commonwealth Games, I know that I've done everything that the sport can ask of an athlete. So I think that helps me realise that whatever happens now in the rest of my career is just a bonus. Um, but at the same time I am such a competitor and I am really passionate about what I do. So still if I go into a major competition and I don't come away with a medal I'm going to be disappointed. But The way I deal with disappointments now is a lot different to how I used to deal with them a few years ago.
0: I remember reading the news that you wouldn't be running at your home Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast and thinking, oh no, that's a shame, such a shame is the thing that's rung to my mind.
1: I am pulling out of the Australian Commonwealth Games athletics team in the 100 metre hurdles and the 4x1 metre relay. Um, due to an Achilles issue that has been around for quite some time now but has flared up considerably in the last few days and yeah that's my decision and um, obviously very disappointed but I'm very happy to be here to support the Australian athletics team and the Australian team as well. Um, yeah so I guess <laughs> that's the announcement.
0: How was it for you when you it hit you that you weren't going to be able to compete?
1: Uh, I don't even know if I have dealt with it properly yet, Um, I remember that unfortunately I made the decision on my eighth wedding anniversary, that was the last day I had stepped foot on a track. It's been 14 weeks since the day that I last stepped foot on a track to compete, uh, to to train or do any sort of physical activity on on the track. I was okay for the first few days, I wasn't so bad. Um, And then maybe like the fourth or fifth day, I'm thinking, well, maybe I can still run. Maybe maybe I can still just just go out there and compete. And then you have to think about it and you think, well, what would I actually achieve when I get on the track? Would I come away with the gold that everyone wants me to come away with? Mm. I've already pulled out to the media and to Australia that pulled out of the games to them. But like, can I still just, going on anyway and just say, like, oh, no, it doesn't matter, I'm back again, it's okay, I'm still going to run. <laughs> can, I just, can I just go and do that? And I said, yeah, well, I possibly could do that, but would I be a disappointment if I went out there? Would a I...
0: disappointment to you or a disappointment to the country? Both, both. I don't think the country would be disappointed.
1: Um. Well, I don't know, you don't see my comments. Maybe after if I, if I did do something bad, maybe I would get that's like the I guess the risk you take um, if you don't perform on the day you have those those couch heroes that think yep. that they, they know everything and, and they I don't know I, I can't even predict that so what, you
0: get that on social media
1: you, could, you possibly could because um, people do and that was I haven't yet but that's possibly what could happen if, it, if I did do it but for me it wasn't about that it was more about would I would I be happy? with myself going out there and possibly not even meddling. Like, or or going out there and doing even more damage to an injured body, what, what, where, where, what am I weighing up here? Like, why am I even questioning going out onto the track? Like, These were all the things going through my mind. Um, and I knew 100% that I wasn't retiring after the Commonwealth Games. And so I was thinking, well, if I go out there and run, and re-injure myself. Am I gonna do an even more worse injury mm. that will take me out for the rest of my career? Will this be a career-ending injury if I run and hurt myself? And that that was a huge possibility. The doctors, that was medical advice that you could possibly completely tear your calf to shreds, do a hamstring, do even more damage somewhere else in the body that could rule you out the rest of your career, and I was like, oh man, I do want to go to another Olympics, so (laughs) I can't have another massive injury again if I want to do well in Tokyo in 2020. So those were all the things that were running through my mind in that week leading up to the hurdles event at the Commonwealth Games. Um, And I guess I had to deal with that kind of while I was still in the whole mix of the Australian team. So for a number of days after I pulled out, I had so many people coming up to me, like wishing me well and hoping that I get back. And that was that was tough to deal with as well. But at the same time, I was so glad that I stayed in that environment to be the Australian team captain still. I went out to every single athletic session except for the one that I was supposed to be in. I, I, I did purposely take myself out of that and, and stay in the village. Um, and, and not watch it, not even, I did watch, I did look it up and see the results because I couldn't help myself. I'm like, I have to just see it. It's going to make me feel better knowing what the result is. Um, and
0: what was it like when you saw the result?
1: It was relieving. I, I don't I don't know, I think, obviously, I feel like I could have run faster and if I was healthy, obviously. And I think it was just relieving knowing the result, whether I would have been happy. I, I wouldn't have been happy with seeing the result no matter what, so I was like, well, let's just, look at it, get it out of the way, and then move on. Because tomorrow it's just another day, (laughs) move on to the next sport, move on to the next event in athletics, (laughs) and then it's all done. And then we can move on to another four years.
0: (laughs) You mentioned Tokyo 2020, and that's the obvious question. Multiple Commonwealth Games gold medals, um, Olympic gold medal, Olympic silver medal, a couple of world championships. From the outside, the obvious question is (laughs) why? Uh, Why are you still wanting to push on, because a lot of people who get to your position say, well, I've done it all. I've reached the top of Mount Everest numerous times. Why do I want to go back up there again?
1: Yeah, because I love it.
0: <laughs> That's a great answer.
1: But there's no other, re- I, I've questioned myself on this for so many years now, even after winning gold in London. I question myself, do I still want to go on? Why do I still want to go on? And what if I don't get gold medals? What if I don't get any medals? What if I don't even make finals? Um, I I had people ask me these questions and I felt like I had to come up with a better answer. I felt like, well, maybe I should just retire then because it seems like the obvious thing to do once you reach reach Mm. the pinnacle of your sport, it seems the obvious thing to do. And it's like, but I really don't want to. (laughs) Like, (laughs) why do I feel like I have to be retiring? Why do I feel like people are putting pressure on me? Why are they even asking me these questions about retirement? Like... mm. If anyone in any sort of business aspect reaches the pinnacle of their job, do they just stop and Mm. quit? No, they don't. They keep pushing to be better or they keep pushing because they they love the thrill of what they do. Um, And that's exactly like me. This is my job. This is what I love to do. Yes, it's not going to go on forever like normal jobs do, but I'm still doing it. I'm still competitive. And I still, I think the word was, I still love it. So... What's the point in retiring when I'm still all of those things? And that was my conclusion. Just keep doing it because <laughs> you love it.
0: We're here at a golf course today, which is <laughs> an, a golf driving range, Top Golf, which is an unusual setting for a uh, hurdler. You've been whacking a few balls.
1: Yes, I have. I, I've joined a club and then I, um, I I come to Top Golf quite a bit because it's literally five minutes down from my house. Um, and I, I've been playing for about two months now at my, at my club at Hope Island, but um, I've just had another wrist surgery to take all the plates out, so I wasn't able to hit the golf balls with two hands, so now I'm just sort of chipping with my right hand. Um, it's quite frustrating because that's all I can do at the moment. Um, and I just can slowly start doing it with two hands. But now that I've been doing it with one hand for so long, doing it with two hands feels unco. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but it's an escape. Um, playing is, has been an escape for me. Um, I think most people need an escape from their workplace. And athletes are just the same. I mean, yes, it's physical, but it's still an escape from what we do every single day of our lives. Um,
0: Is it an escape out there, or does the competitiveness (laughs) that gets you on the track come out on the golf course?
1: Um, Surprisingly, the competitiveness doesn't come out on the golf course, but my perfectionism does. So I still want to be able to get it into the hole. I still want to make sure that how how I hit the ball is still the same way as I do with two hands. um, So that side still comes out of me, but I guess the competitive side, I haven't played a competitive round of golf yet, so I I can't tell you if that's gonna come out yet.
0: I don't wanna hear in the papers (laughs) that you've been throwing clubs around the Gold Coast (laughs) and the like.
1: Well, we'll wait and see if that.
0: (laughs) You mentioned perfectionism um, and being a perfectionist, and I read your book, Believe, which is a great read, and you said, Sort of finish at the end of 2013. So you're a different person to that now, but that's the thing that hit me—that you are a perfectionist. Is it difficult to go through life as an athlete being a perfectionist?
1: Um, it is very difficult being a perfectionist um, because we do have to settle for not- for things not being perfect, or at least okay or average, um, and it's hard to cu- it's hard to deal with that. Um, but that was me back then. Um, I think I'm I'm still a perfectionist when it comes to technique and I still strive to be as best as I can. I still try and get those, those one percenters in my technique. Um, but I think I'm okay with it being okay because at the end of the day when you get to a competition I know that I'm a huge competitor and that doesn't really matter what you look like when you go over the hurdles. It's just a matter that your preparation was good and that when you get into that race, just run as hard as you can. And whoever crosses the finish line first, that's what matters. So for that's what matters to me anyway. Um, And and whoever can can race well. And and I know that I can do those things. And so whatever happens before that, if it's not perfect, it doesn't matter because when I get onto that race track, that's all that matters at the end of the day. It's
0: great talking to you whenever you mention running, your face just lights up and you start smiling and you start laughing. Let's go back to when you were Sally McClellan. Yeah. Um, When did you first run as a little girl? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I do. And it was when I was a gymnast. Um, i have been an athlete since I was four. I did gymnastics from the ages of four till nine in New South Wales and then moved up to the Gold Coast and then started little athletics almost straight away. but I remember when we, we used to have to warm up for gymnastics, there was a football oval on the outside, so we had to do laps and laps and laps and laps. And sometimes we'd have a nice coach say, oh you, know you have to do two laps. And we were six doing this, so we had two laps of a football oval it was quite a long way. <laughs> yes. that, was, that was easy, because usually if you had the mean coach, it'd be like 10 laps. But I remember me and this other girl, her name was Katie, and she had red hair, and she was very fiery and very competitive with me as well. And, as soon as we had to start our warm up, we'd be like lining up, ready to go, racing each other, doing that. Um, and it was like, who could beat the person in warm up, for goodness sake, that was ridiculous. And I remember one of the senior girls in the gymnast um, gymnastics club, she was always winning the warm ups. Like I know that she probably didn't think she was winning because it was only a warm up. But for me, she was winning, and I had to try and make sure that I could get up to her in the warm up. And I remember one the first day that I ever beat her because I was like she was just jogging along at the end, and I was probably 100 meters away from finishing the warm up, and I just sprinted that last 100 just so I could beat her. And my coaches were very proud of that at the end, knowing that a six year old beat one of the senior gymnasts in the warm up. Um, I guess that probably made them notice. How much of a competitor I'm going to be for the sport itself, and I think that's really important to, is to find those athletes who have that drive and determination to be the best because that's what it takes when you into elite sport is you have to have that motivation, determination to go out there and give it your all to become number one. Um, Did
0: you have that at age six? Definitely.
1: Did yes, you? Yes, yes, definitely. Wow. I, and I remember, I, I remember my gymnastics days very clearly, and I remember, um, I. We were, I was, we were sitting down talking with our coach in a group and she was talking about the show Gladiators. And at the time, that was like the biggest show on TV and, and <laughs> all of us gymnasts wanted to be the gladiators because we were strong enough to do any of those exercises. And um, she, said, she said to us, any of you girls could be on this show. You were so much better. You were six years old and you were so much better than any of those people on that show. And I remember sitting back saying, I'm not sure if I'll be a gladiator, but I know I'm gonna be something. I know I'm gonna be good at what, I didn't know it was gonna be athletics. I had no idea, because I wasn't into athletics then. And I I knew I was gonna be good at something. I don't know if that was just like a psychic feeling or just being so in tune with who I was as a person at the age of six that I wanted to be the best at something.
0: Last episode of the Howie Games, we featured dual world surf champion Tom Carroll. And thank you for all the feedback at MarkHoward03 on social media. I have passed it on to Tom, who was tremendously, tremendously warmed by the fact he is helping others through telling his story. I didn't even know I was going to be able to get there to start off with. It wasn't towards when I got close enough to it that I could sniff it that I really believed that I could do it. Uh It wasn't like I was going... From the beginning, thinking, "Oh, I'm going to be there someday," I wasn't like one of those sort of people who had this clarity of vision from the start. It was sort of like little steps along the way that kind of that I grabbed onto and gripped onto opportunity as I'm as I moved through and slipped down, built it back up, slipped back down, built it back up. So. Finally getting to the top, and then all of a sudden getting all this attention. Uh, sometimes that gets tricky. That's Tom Carroll on the last episode of the Howie Gang. All righty, back to Sally. We'll get to how you got into athletics. because I enjoyed that story. You moved around a bit a, yeah. as as a young girl, and it was just you and your mum.
1: Yeah, well, we didn't move so much. We just we 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 moved from Sydney to um, the Gold Coast, and yeah. I remember getting on, we actually got on a bus with another mother and daughter. Um, we moved to the Gold Coast with them and we got on the bus and we took the trip up to, to, for the big move and I was just so excited because we come up from a holiday um, before we, the big move and we went to the movie, we went to Movie World, we went to Went Wild, we went to Sea World. And that's a kid's dream, like this is like the ultimate place to live when you're a young kid. <laughs> you, can do any, you can go to the beach, it's hot, it's sunny, it hardly ever rains. This is just fantastic. And so I was just excited by the whole trip. And I think I've, I've, I've never looked back since. I, I've always loved it. And it's sort of obviously made me who I am today as well.
0: Who you are today obviously always has a lot to do with your folks and people talk about their parents with their journey. Tell us about your mum, who, again, reading your book sounds like a remarkable,
1: remarkable lady. (laughs) Um, She, from a very young age, I remember her saying to me that you can pretty much do whatever you want. Like, she was always going to support me and it was always going to be my choice. Like, whatever I wanted to do, she was going to support and I remember saying to her when I was I don't know 13 or 14 I said what if I told you I wanted to quit athletics and this was just at the time where I was becoming good like I was making national teams and possibly getting a medal if I was lucky and I was just starting to break through I said what if I wanted to tell you I wanted to quit athletics and she goes well I would certainly question why, <laughs> I would ask the question why, but I would support you if that's what you wanted to do. So I think I've been very lucky um, as an athlete that I was never pushed into what I wanted to do. It's very self-motivated, but knowing that I've had someone my whole life steer me in the right direction, I guess, but also allow me to do what I felt was right for myself.
0: And She was looking after you by herself, she was a single yeah. mum, what was she doing? to keep everything on track. She was obviously working <laughs> yeah, and being course. a mum and yeah. doing all the things you need to do.
1: Yeah, of course, I mean, we and we didn't have a car either, so it was always long trips to competitions. It was always like, you gotta get the bus to the train station, then you gotta get the train up to Brisbane, then you gotta get another bus to the athletics track. Or we were very lucky enough and we had some really good uh, friends that would give us lifts because they were going to the same competition or my coach was at the time was really good and take me to all my physio, and, uh, um, physio appointments because my mum had to work full time as well. So at the time for me it, it was just normal, like mm-hmm. it was just a normal life and I guess when you look back now as an adult you think oh it's pretty tough for a young kid to go through but I didn't, it didn't feel hard because it was something that we both wanted to do as well. Like we were both excited by the fact that um, I was getting better at athletics and I was going to these competitions. My mum loved it. She loved watching. It was never a chore for her. I mean obviously having to work two jobs was a bit of a chore. What did she do? Uh, Pardon?
0: What did she do your mum?
1: Two jobs. Yeah. Um, well, she just works at Card at the call centre, and then she had a second job at the same thing in another call centre as well. Right. Um, so she, it was a bit of a chore, I guess, having to work two jobs. She loves her job now, um, but I, I think I was very lucky enough to be sponsored by Adidas from a very young age. Like, I was 17 when I signed up with Adidas. And How was that day? for me. The first thing I said was, I can go to Europe and race, because I could afford it. Did you get a cheque? Uh, yeah. Well, you get the money in your bank account, right. and so when you see that, you're like, oh, it's like, I don't know, it was $7,000 or something. <laughs> and I was like, I can go to Europe and I can do this, and the mum's like, yeah, it's so exciting, we can fly over there and we can, you know, you compete and you can go around. And um, and then then I sort of sat back after the excitement, you can quit your job now. You can. Oh, she could have a, one job, and you can quit your second job. And I think that was a huge relief to her as well because then she didn't have to work seven days a week. She could work the normal five days a week. Um, and then obviously, you know, the money doesn't last very long when you have, have to <laughs> no. start paying for yourself and you only have like, you know, you got, I think I got $15,000 for the year and it was like you had to pay for your medical, you had to pay for um, your car, you had to pay for petrol. And so that kind of ran out pretty quickly and then I was like, well, how do I get more of this? Because I need to be able to support myself. And it was just, and I think that's where perfectionists sort of come in and, and wanting to be better because the more I did, the more you got paid, I guess, and the better results you get, the more you got paid. And yes, it sounds like I was only doing it for the money, but I was doing it because I loved it. and That's what kept me going. And the money was a bonus so that I could save my mum from working two jobs And look after myself, and so that's where it became a bonus. If it had to go, if it had to have gone back to mum working two jobs and Mm. helping me get around, then that's just how it was, because I was never going to stop doing what I was doing, because I was so determined to be Olympic champion or be the best in the world. And and then obviously, yeah, it didn't sort of pan out that way, and I got better, and I got the results that I wanted. I worked hard for. the results that I achieved in getting Olympic gold, getting a World Championship gold, getting Commonwealth Games gold, that came from a lot of hard work. And it wasn't for sacrifices, I hate that word sacrifice, because I chose to do what I did. I, my choice was to be an athlete, be a professional, um, and it's gotten me to where I am today.
0: Were you one of those kids that was outstanding? from the start, did it get to a Little Athletics and the other kids are going, oh, no, we're racing against Sally <laughs> this week. Were you a standout?
1: Uh, I wasn't. Oh, that's a hard question for me to answer. Don't because be modest. Because in, in, in my, no, it's, it's hard because in my eyes I wasn't a standout. In some people's eyes it was. Um, from a very, very beginning, I, I wouldn't say I was a standout because I had a few athletes that I got to a national level and I would get sixth or seventh in the final. And that wasn't a standout to me. Like, that's that's not good. Um, I should be winning. And, yes, I won a lot of the races locally and, and I was good to state level. Um, I still would get beaten for the first few years at state level um, by a lot of really talented juniors as well. Um, and I think 2003, 2002 were the kind of years that... I really made, oh, I shouldn't say, because 2001 I was 14 and won the under-20 national title in the 100 metres, so... That you, was, you
0: were 14 yeah. and you won the under-20 title?
1: National title, yeah, in the 100 metres. And, and so, you
0: trying to tell me you weren't a standout.
1: Before that I wasn't. Right. So I'd been doing... When I, by the time I was 14, I had been doing the sport for about four years. And so that four years for a 14-year-old was a very long time in the sport. So for me, before then, I wasn't a standout. That was... That was a test for me from my coach to have some competition, to have someone to really push me. And um, I was furious with her making me do this because I'm like, I'm going to be made to look a fool in this race. Were you tiny compared to the... No, I was probably the same height. I think I've grown since I was 14. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've been the same height since. Um, But... I was, I was furious with her putting me into that race, and she said, you are here because you deserve to be. I was like, oh, God. All right, well, I'll just give it a go and see what happens. And obviously, I was like, oh, my goodness, look at these girls. They are amazing. They are fast. But then I was obviously faster than them at the time, and I did a massive PB. But um, before then, it was, it was hard work to, to get into finals and to get even a medal in a race. Um, I didn't really have my my junior competitors in that race. So it's kind of like, I felt a little bit not under any pressure to do well because my junior competitors weren't in that race with me. So maybe that's why I ran so well, I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, it, it was hard leading up to then. And then sort of, I got injured after that race. I got a stress fracture that kept me out for another year. And then I slowly built myself up again. I stayed patient. I did all the stupid rehab exercises that you're supposed to do. I did every single one of them. And then I, and then by the end of 2002, I was, what, just turned 16, I think, and I started to build myself up again. And that's when 2003 rolled around, and it was the World Youth Championships in, in Canada and then the World Championships in the 4x1 Relay in Paris. As and, a 16-year-old. As a 16-year-old. So I was a standout from probably 16, I reckon, onwards, I would say. so. That word, standout, means a lot. And so I would say from 16 onwards, I would have been a standout. I've,
0: watched, I've been lucky enough through work to watch you compete a few times um, in Delhi and in Glasgow. And I remember seeing you uh, in a warm-up track and everything just seemed perfect when you were stepping over the hurdles, when you weren't running. Tell me about a hurdles race. What's the key? You get on the start line. Tell me about being the best hurdler in the world. What do you need to do?
1: You need to be fast. Um, you need to obviously have technique, and that helps you. Um, that that's de- that's developed from a very young age. That's developed from when I was 13, developing that technique over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's just practice, practice, practice. It's um,
0: beautiful to watch as well. Thanks. <laughs> it, it is. It is. The way you do it is everything just seems to be in the right spot at the right time and it just seems to flow, and that's from someone that doesn't understand what the key is. And
1: that's a, that's a lot of hard work with technique. But for me, the key is speed. You have to be fast to be a sprint hurdler, um, especially in the, the women's hurdles. The men's hurdles, you need to be a hurdler. And there's a huge difference between being a sprinter and a hurdler. Um, the men's hurdles are so high. They're 106 centimetres high. Um, so you have to be tall and you have to be technically efficient. Female hurdles, yes, you have to be technically efficient, but the hurdles are only 84 centimeters, so they're about hip height.
0: Still quite high though.
1: It is high, but once you're fast and you techni- and you're technically okay, you can you can get away with um, not being technically great, if you know what I mean, like you can be fast and that will help you through more so than anything in a hurdles race.
0: So Um, you're on the line, the gun goes, talk to me about the next 10 seconds, 12 (laughs) Well can I give you
1: an example at World Champs? Okay so at World Champs last year,
0: 2017 when you won your second title,
1: 2017 when I was going for my second world title, uh, I wasn't the favourite to win, I was in the lane next to the world record holder, Kenny Harrison and On my right hand side was Pamela from Germany, who ended up getting the bronze medal in that race. So I wasn't even focusing on anyone else. And I was so excited to be next to Kenny Harrison, who was the world record holder, because she's fast. She is very fast and she's very, very good over the hurdles. She's quick over the hurdles. And I was excited to be next to her because I'm like, if I can get into her rhythm, this is gonna be a good race. I need to be competitive against her. She is my main rival in this race. Let's stay as close to her as possible through the whole race. And I did, and I got out. Oh, this is good, good start. She's a little bit ahead of me, that's okay. Hit the first hurdle. Okay, I didn't really click that she'd hit a first hurdle, but I was thinking, oh, you're still staying with her. You're still staying with her. She hit the second hurdle. Oh, you're still staying with her. She hit the third hurdle. Okay, she's hitting hurdles. You are not hitting hurdles. Let's just keep running. He's doing really well. You're still ahead. I think you're winning, but I'm not 100% sure. But you're beating Kenny, so that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying. And I'm only at the third hurdle. That's probably only about four seconds. And this is a
0: dial going in your this
1: head. And exa- I can remember it so clearly. This is exactly what I was saying. The women's 100 metre hurdle final. Well, it's a clean start. Harrison out wonderfully well, as is Pearson. Also on the Manning. then she's like hits the fourth hurdle oh my goodness she's hit another hurdle she's gone back I can't even see her at all now let's just keep running you're going really really well fifth hurdle yep, over at Sixth hurdle, seventh hurdle you're clearing these really really well you're running fast I can't I still can't see anyone on your right hand side but I can feel them coming up because we're coming to the last few hurdles the Americans are on a charge but look at Sally Pearson got over the tenth hurdle I'm just like Right, I knew I was winning but then all of a sudden maybe the third step maybe the second step off the last hurdle I see a flash over on my right far, probably three I think it's three hurdles away three lanes away that she was and I'm like that's someone cross the finish line dip I'm a really good dipper over the finish line and I and I looked and I'm like it's Dawn Harper. Of course, it's Dawn Harper. She hasn't, she had not had a great season. She only just made the US team at, to, for the World Championships, but of course, it's Dawn Harper. <laughs> Wins it 28, 20, 2008 Olympic Games. She gets second in bloody London, and now she's getting a silver medal behind me again. Like I was actually really proud of her. The Australian in lane number four. 12.60 seconds. What a race from Sally Pearson. We were kind of the underdogs going into that world Mm -hmm. championships. Yes, we have been champions in the past, but we had both had setbacks the last few years. She didn't make the Rio Olympic Games. I didn't make the Rio Olympic Games through injury. Um, 2015, she fell over in, in the semi-final of the hurdles at the world championships. I didn't even make the world championships through injury again. So we're kind of going into these world championships as like the... Oh, they're past championships. They've had it. No one wants to watch them <laughs> anymore. And then we're there, first and second crossing the finish line. I was kind of like, it was a really special moment. Um, I think for people who are struggling to get back and not sort of having people doubt you to come back, and then all of a sudden, you've done it. Mm. <laughs> We've done all this hard work. We've believed in ourselves. We've stayed true to what we know. And At the end of the day, we are both very, very fierce competitors and we love racing and so that's definitely, yes, obviously all the hard work and we are good hurdlers and we are still fast at the same time, but our true competitiveness came out on that day showing the rest of the world that doesn't matter what you've been through, the true competitor at the end of the day will win the race.
0: I'd like to talk to you, Sal, about from the outside looking in some seminal moments in your career. and I think where you obviously competed at 2006 in the Melbourne Commonwealth Games and had a stumble, which yep. we'll get to, in the hurdles. The 2008 Olympics in Beijing, I think you exploded into the Australian <laughs> psyche and have been there ever since um, with a silver medal and your post race interview with Paddy Welsh, <laughs> which I think began with Oh My God, and it yeah. was. It was just wonderful to see an athlete so blown away by what they'd done, which you seemed to be
1: that night. Can I say, that is incredible. Oh, my God. You've got to be kidding me, right? Is this real? This is amazing. I can't believe it. I I don't know what to say. I'm not sure if I was blown away or just I couldn't believe, well, I could believe, but I couldn't believe, because it was the first time that I had stayed, remained so focused in a race and remained on myself, stayed so focused on myself in a race and didn't get distracted by anyone else. It was the first time that I had felt I had done that and it had paid off, because I had been through so many races where I was focusing on everyone else. I was excited, I was racing in Europe, I was traveling around, I was doing what I love to do. And I was still so young and so um, inexperienced on the world level that I was just so distracted by all the other athletes, all the other competitions rather than on myself. I went into those Olympics knowing I was going to get a medal. Shock. I saw Lola go down and I said, go for it. I did. And I got it. Can you believe it? Knowing? Yeah, I knew I was. I knew, I, I just, I had broken the Australian record twice leading into those Olympics. I knew I was in good shape. I had beaten all of those names before, but I kind of disregarded all of that. Well, except for my performance and, and my, um, my form going into those Olympics, I, I focused solely on that. I didn't focus on any of the other athletes. Just because I had beaten them doesn't mean I was going to beat them here. But I knew that I was in good shape. My preparation had been really, really good. Um, and I walked out there, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to win, but I think I'm going to get a medal. I think I'm going to get silver. And my husband afterwards told me a few days later, when you walked out there, I thought you were going to win bronze. So he knew I was going to get a medal as well, and I thought I was going to get silver. He thought I was going to get bronze, and I think that's why I was so excited. More so than anything is in that in that interview, I was talking. I was tell, I was trying. I was trying to communicate <laughs> to the journalist, to Patty Welsh. I was trying to communicate to him, did you see how focused I was? I was trying to tell him how focused I was, but it was just coming Well, you out. asked him, did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I, was, yeah, I saw I, it. And that's, I wasn't saying, <laughs> I wasn't trying to tell him, did you see the race? Because obviously he saw the race, but I wanted him to, just, I wanted to ask me if he had saw how focused I was beforehand. Like, I was so pumped going to those blocks. I was, like, screaming, I was yelling, I was, like... I'm like what am i doing i feel like i'm an arrogant sort of athlete here what why am i acting like this but i couldn't help it i was just like screaming and yelling yelling at myself come on you can do this before i even got to the box when i was warming up i was pumping myself up and i and i wanted to know if anyone saw that right. i don't think they did and that's what that and that's why everyone thought did you see me it was like did you see me race and it was like no did you see how pumped i was at the start and that's that's what I was so proud of is that I I was so ready to run that race and it all came at the finish line, it all came together and it was, it was a magical, magical race.
0: That's the end of Sally Pearson Part A. Please have a listen to Sally Part B as she takes you through a brilliant, brilliant description of the 2012 Olympic Hurdles Final.
1: Listener.